Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Oh my goodness. Five, four, three, two, one. From inside the warehouse at Oriole Park at Camden Yards, it is the Masson All Access Podcast brought to you by Toyota. For legendary safety and reliability, choose Toyota and let's go places. Paul Mancano joined by Brendan Mortensen. Brendan, we are once again producing our very own podcast here in the week between Christmas and New Year's. How was your Christmas? Oh, it's lovely. <laughs> I mean, I, I just had that Philadelphia Eagles Christmas album on repeat oh, good. throughout the house. It, mm-hmm. it was lovely. It was bringing lots of, of holiday cheer, holiday joy, some might say as well. What was your favorite gift? Oh, man. That's a tough question. I think my favorite gift, Paul, because I'm not a material person, my don't, favorite gift don't say the was joy the of family. love uh. and joy of family <laughs> that's, time. That's just never the best gift. That was easily the, the worst I mean, that I could have possibly received because I'm not material like you, and I... I cherish that time with my family rather than the gifts that I receive. That's a cop-out, and it's also not true. My favorite gift was a miniature hand vac for my car that is going to do me incredible good. I have a very dirty car yeah. where things get stuck in the crevices. That's not even a weird flex. That's a, that's very a bad easily. flex. It's it's not a flex whatsoever. No. It's it's a self-detrimental comment, but... It's it's going to be great, and I've never felt like more of an old man or an adult by getting a hand vac for Christmas and being over the moon about it. But it's going to be great. I can't, yeah, I can't wait to use it. We are now. We are. In fact, I already have. Way past the age of getting like fun things for Christmas. Not that things aren't fun, but like you want practical things. That was for fun Christmas. for me. Yeah. Like I got some. I got some new quarter zips. I got some new work apparel. That socks. that was big. So socks are exciting now for me. Yeah. Because. It's Gosh, I need them in the winter. Fun socks? Uh, not fun socks, just warm socks. No, practical say. socks, yeah. not even fun socks. Not even fun socks. No, it's it's all about practicality in, in today's day and age. Brendan, on this podcast, we have a lot to cover here. We're going to run through some fake trades that we have concocted between the Orioles and some teams that we pulled out of a jar. We're going to talk about these guys. Some guys that went off the board in free agency that the Orioles could have signed. And Brendan, the market has dried up quite a lot over the last couple weeks. We have seen Nathan Avaldi go off the board. He went to Texas on a two-year, $34 million deal. That wipes out our entire starting pitching region it in was our terrible. free agency bracket. And if you're watching live on Facebook and on YouTube, and if you're not, you should be every Wednesday at 11 a.m., you can see that all eight guys that we thought the Orioles might sign in free agency, starting pitcher-wise, are off the board. Jamison Tyone, Carlos Rodon, Mike Clevenger, Ross Stripling, Nathan Ovaldi, Chris Bassett, Matthew Boyd, and Sean Manaya all gone. Yeah, and thank goodness for Adam Frazier over on the bottom right-hand side of the bracket as you're following along. He is the only name that has been highlighted, more than likely will be the only name that remains highlighted, as the Orioles have filled their need for backup catcher, we can more or less smudge out that entire region. And they probably will not get another middle infielder either. So you could probably smudge out that re- region as well. Yeah, catchers, you know, James McCann, that that made that irrelevant. So Kirk Casali, the guy that we had winning the catcher region, 
He signs with Cincinnati. Tucker Barnhart signs with the Cubs. The Orioles aren't going to add anybody else on that list. I think maybe they could bring in somebody on a minor league deal to be their third catcher, but they have the catcher spot taken care of for the most part. Not on our bracket, but also signing yesterday. Rich Hill signed a one-year, $8 million deal with the Pirates. Brendan, you no longer have to apologize to Rich for all the ageist jokes you made about uh, him maybe signing with the Orioles at 43 years old. I mean, to be honest, I probably should apologize you anyway. Should, yeah. Because I made a lot of jokes about Rich Hill, and he has put up nothing but quality numbers into his age 57 season. And it continues to be impressive, and I can make however many jokes that I please, and I probably will continue to. But the fact of the matter is that Rich Hill is still a very good pitcher in this league, has been putting up consistently good numbers, and he goes to Pittsburgh on a pretty affordable deal. But I just don't think he would have pushed the needle for the Orioles. We've talked so much about how they kind of need a front end of the rotation type of starter after getting Kyle Gibson on a one-year deal. Rich Hill, not really a front end of the rotation starter at this point in his career. I think Nathan Avaldi was really the only other option that could have been a frontline starter, and he goes to Texas as well. Yeah, so the, these guys have been flying off the board as of late. Looking at the starting pitchers, now that Evaldi is off the board, top guys left in free agency if the Orioles go that route are probably Corey Kluber. Some people in the chat I saw mentioning Zach Greinke is still out there, another guy who is pushing 40 but still performing pretty well, and given the fact that he doesn't rely on overwhelming velocity, he might be still productive into his 40s. Who would you like to see, Brendan, if the Orioles do go the free agency route? And do you think any of these guys are worth bringing in, considering we've talked a million times about how the Orioles don't need another four or five? They have those guys. They probably need somebody who can take the ball on opening day. Yeah, I think if it were me, I'd probably go Corey Kluber at this point, just because we've, we've talked about Michael Waka a lot on this podcast, and I have kind of made the case that unless he has really fixed something, from his issues in 2021 and the previous seasons. I don't know how much I'm buying that 2022 season. Whereas Corey Kluber, I think you kind of know more of what you're getting, which is a, a former multiple-time Cy Young winner. He is not that pitcher anymore, but he'll still probably give you an ERA right around four, and he's probably going to be less expensive than Michael Waka. I think Waka, you're just kind of buying high on but again, if you believe the stuff that you saw last year, if you think that is the real Michael Waka, then you could still be getting him at a relatively cheap deal compared to if he had a longer track record of success rather than just that good kind of breakout season a year ago when he only had some good seasons very early on in his career in St. Louis then kind of a gap of not being so great until last year. So I'd probably lean Kluber of those two, but if you believe in what you saw from Michael Waka, I think Waka would make sense as well. Another name to throw out there that I saw in the chat from Tyrus, Johnny Cueto, another guy who is up yeah. there, 36 years old, feels like he should be older considering how long he has been around for, of course, with the Reds, the Giants, and most recently with the White Sox, he was pretty good. 158 in the third innings, 3.35 ERA from Johnny Cueto. He is going to be goofy on the mound. He is going to mess with Thader's timings. He'll be entertaining, I think, for us to cover. He is a righty, so not a lefty. I think the Orioles would probably prefer a lefty, but I don't think beggars can be choosers at this point. I think that anybody left out on the market, whether it be Cueto, Waka, Kluber, 
they're going to have to, these guys are not going to sign $10 million deals. I think a lot of these guys are going to take less than that, and they're probably going to take one, maybe two-year deals at this point. Yeah, and there's really no high-end starter left available. I think Waka has that kind of potential. I think Corey Kluber could be an opening day starter just based off of his pedigree, not necessarily based off the numbers that you think he could give you. But if Corey Kluber kind of joins this mix of Orioles pitchers and there's not really a defined number one, you'd probably give the ball to the guy who has won multiple Cy Youngs on opening day would be my guess. So Corey Kluber would kind of become your de facto opening day starter, even if he's not putting up those kinds of numbers. There's just, there's not really a high-end guy left. And I think if you're going to get one, you're going to get one through a trade. Perfect transition. Look at that. We are going to run through some trade proposals. Last week, we drew names out of a jar, three each. And our job was to come up with some trade proposals between the Orioles and these six teams. Brendan, you were the first to put your hand in the basket. That I was. Draw out a team. And you drew out the Tampa Bay Rays. What trade have you been cooking up in your mass and bunker? Yeah, this one was hard. Uh, the Rays do not really have any glaring needs at the moment. They are a pretty well-balanced team, and the Rays, of course, are also not big spenders. So there's not really a, a logical trade here that made a ton of sense. I went with a swap kind of based on the timelines of these two teams. My first trade being sending Jorge Mateo and John Rhodes to the Tampa Bay Rays in exchange for Vidal Brujan. Now, Jorge Mateo, we know, had a fantastic season last year, showed what he can do with the glove at shortstop, didn't hit all that well. Vidal Brujan is one of the Rays' better up-and-coming players, but he did struggle at the big leagues last year in his age 24 season, was really good at AAA. They're very similar players, Mateo and Brujan. Mateo, of course, can play multiple positions, but played a lot of really high-quality shortstop last year in Baltimore. Brujan probably best profiles as a second baseman at the big league level, but he can also play every single outfield position and every single infield position. So the reason that I made this swap is because Brujan is just entering his age 25 season, and if he hits his ceiling... That's a really good second baseman for years to come, whereas Jorge Mateo, a little bit older, he is more proven at the big league level right now, and with the Rays closer to contention than the, than the Orioles are at this point, maybe they would be interested in acquiring somebody like Mateo who can be a solid utility player, play all around the diamond, and gives them somebody who is more big league ready right now than Vidal Brujan. I think the Orioles would have to ask for more in this deal in order to send Jorge Mateo out. Because Mateo, while he is three years older than Vidal Brujan, he was very productive last year. I mean, a 3.8 war on most teams would be up near the top in terms of production value. And yeah, Vidal, excellent. Vidal Brujan, while he does have all the talent in the world and he has the ceiling of reaching a, a potential speedy, quality defense infielder, I just don't know if at this point he's shown you enough to the point where you're trading somebody who is that proven like Mateo. I know he really only has one year track record of success. Mateo does, and there's some concern. I think that's why the Orioles have been, uh, rumors have been flying that they have been receiving calls. Ken Rosenthal said that the Orioles were receiving calls on Jorge Mateo. So I understand maybe 
the itch to trade Jorge Mateo and open up some inf- some room in that infield. But I just don't think Bruhan at this point, he is more potential than he is reality. And for a team that is trying to compete this year and contend, I think that this the Orioles in this case would probably say no. Yeah, I, I think the Orioles would also probably say no in this trade, if I'm being totally honest. It's going to be a common theme in all three trades that I have made hypothetically here that I'm going for kind of the high upside swings because when you're looking at the trade market, especially for a team like the Orioles that is probably not going to spend a ton of money in free agency, we saw that this year. They're kind of going for a little bit of the safer play. I think trades is a way that you're able to get some high upside players that you can get before they hit their peak and you don't have to pay them years down the line. Of course, Bruhan is a little bit of a toss-up. We don't know if he's actually going to hit that projected ceiling, but this is somebody who has been a top-five prospect in a very good raised system for multiple years. He's almost like a younger version of Jorge Mateo, somebody who we always looked at and said, man, the tools are there, the potential is there. If he can just put it together, this could be a really quality big league player, and Bruhan if he is able to hit that ceiling, maybe lines up with the Orioles' timeline a little bit better where he'd be hitting his stride in his age 26-27 season and turn into a really good second baseman. Well, if he is on that trajectory, then the Orioles just have to wait a couple of years and claim Vidal Brujan off waivers <laughs> exactly. like they did with from uh, with that, Jorge Mateo the from the play. San Diego Then you don't Padres. have to give up anything and you just get him for free. It's yeah, perfect. exactly. And The Rays here would be selling low on Vidal Brujan, no question, because he had negative 0.5 war last year. He has negative 1.1 war, according to baseball reference, in his career. And like I said, Brendan, I just don't think the... You are opening up a mystery box that you think could be Jorge Mateo, and you're trading Jorge Mateo to do that. This is the family guy reference that we always make. It could even be a boat. You already have the boat in Jorge Mateo, And I know he is closer to free agency, and I know he is costing you more than Vidal Brujan because he's heading into arbitration, but I just wouldn't make this deal if I were the Orioles, and I especially wouldn't be giving up John Rhodes in this deal. I thought that was pretty surprising that you had Jorge Mateo and a prospect, a top 30 prospect, going to the Rays for a guy that, uh, frankly, has negative war in his career so far. He does. Uh, The Rays are stingy. That, that, that was my thinking there, and I was also using, which is not a perfect science by any stretch, but I was going a little bit based off of the MLB Trade Simulator, which gives different values to particular players in a team system. Not always accurate, and I am not taking it as a, a solid thing to go on all of the time, but the Orioles, at least based on that simulation, get a little bit more value with Bruhan than the Rays would get with Mateo and John Rhodes, but... Again, if it's me, I'm probably not making this deal if I'm the Orioles. I just think it's a swap that would theoretically make sense for both teams. We talked about also on our last podcast that if the Orioles do intend to compete this year, they would probably be wise, and they intend to trade Jorge Mateo or somebody of that ilk, they would probably be wise to get back major league talent. And like you said, I don't know if Bruhan is ready to contribute at the major league level to the point where he makes you a better team uh, in the short term or long term. Even if you give that shortstop spot to Gunnar Henderson and you have Ramon Rios at third base, you're still giving up a very valuable player in Jorge Mateo who could help you this year. So they would probably want to get a major leaguer back. But I like the creativity, Brendan. And I know that you like your prospects and you like to take big swings for prospects. Yeah. My deal from the Detroit Tigers to the Baltimore Orioles involves Tariq Skubal. 
And by Tariq, I mean Tarek, because we mispronounce his name every single time on this podcast. Tarek Skubal going to the Baltimore Orioles in exchange for Austin Hayes and Joey Ortiz. Now, Skubal is a 26-year-old, 24th-ranked prospect in baseball a year ago. Now, he did have flexor tendon surgery near the end of the 2022 season. Could be back for spring training, but he has some injury concerns. But when he has been healthy, he has been good. 3-5-2 ERA, almost nine strikeouts per nine, and a 1.156 whip in 21 starts in 2022. He is still very far away from free agency. He's not even, free, he's not even arbitration eligible until 2024. And the Orioles here are giving Detroit a quality corner outfielder in Austin Hayes, and they're giving them an exciting young infield prospect in Joey Ortiz. And what they could be getting back, Brendan, is a starter who can fit into their rotation for several years. A lefty, somebody who can play very well with that left field wall being moved back. Would you make this deal if you were the Orioles? And would you make this deal if you were the Tigers? Yeah, I mean, I would make this deal if I were the Orioles. I'm not so sure if I'm the Tigers. I think Austin Hayes is a quality big league piece. I don't know how much he moves the needle for a team like the Tigers. I don't know if Hayes really lines up with their timeline of winning is my thing with Austin Hayes. He's not all that old. Austin Hayes is still on the right side of 30 here, but the Tigers are still probably four or five years away from contention, I would imagine, because they aren't as advanced four as the... Four or five years away. They just signed uh, Javier Baez a year ago to a massive contract. I, Eduardo Rodriguez a year done, ago. <laughs> which I wouldn't have done, but... I, either I, neither would I. Right, but the cornerstones of that team right now are Spencer Torkelson and Riley Green, who have not shown the kind of promise that Adley Rutschman and Gunnar Henderson have. I still, still think they are probably a year or two away from turning into really quality big league players. So I don't know if Austin Hayes lines up with that timeline. I think Scooble lines up perfectly with the Orioles timeline. I think that's a slam dunk if you're Baltimore. Even giving up Joey Ortiz, this infield is going to be crowded. And you just hope that if you're trading one of the infielders, you trade the right one and not the one that ends up turning into a superstar. I think Joey Ortiz has the potential to be a really good big league player. I don't know if he has the potential to be a superstar type of big league player, which is why you obviously wouldn't move somebody like Gunnar Henderson or even Jordan Westberg, who's a top 100 prospect at this point. So I think it makes a ton of sense for Baltimore. You get Scooble has who has the potential to be a number one, number two type of starter in this league. And you're giving up Hayes who, you know, might get, replaced by Colton Kowser in a few months if he doesn't play up to Austin Hayes' usual standard. We'll see what ends up happening with him, but I, I like this trade for Baltimore a lot. And you would be selling somewhat low on Tarek Skubal if you're the Tigers here because of that injury, um, and you really do need pitching still. The Tigers do still need pitching. They have said, and their GM Scott Harris said, that they are looking for a righty-hitting corner outfielder. So in this case, Austin Hayes would fill that void. But you're still robbing Peter to pay Paul in this instance by taking away from some of your pitching depth. Even though uh, Scooble might not be ready for opening day, you're still taking away a long-term piece that I don't think that the Tigers would be willing to do and to sell low at that point. But I think that it would be intriguing. And they have a lot of rotation options, so maybe they feel like they're set for the rotation, and maybe they feel like they don't quite need Tarek Skubal at this point because they have Eduardo Rodriguez that they signed. They signed Michael Lorenzen. 
Um, you know, they have Spencer Turnbull. They have Matthew Boyd, who they re-signed recently. They have Casey Mize, who's one of the top prospects in baseball recently. So maybe they feel like they have more depth there and they can use it to go out and sign somebody. And while I agree, I think that they're probably farther further away from contention than the Orioles, I think that they think they're closer to contention. And I think that's partly why they went out and signed Eduardo Rodriguez last year and Javier Baez. So I don't think that they think that they're several years away and maybe they try to want to try to compete in the AL Central this year. Yeah, the thing there though is, does adding Austin Hayes and Joey Ortiz jumpstart you versus giving up Scooble in this instance? Right. I think Scooble is still, he's a good piece for the future, but he's still a quality piece right now. So if you're the Tigers, I don't know if Austin Hayes and Joey Ortiz leapfrog you to the point where you want to be contending sooner. I think Scooble probably accomplishes both of those things for you, both being a competing right now and competing a few years down the line, given his age, given the fact that he is controllable for a long time, I think Scooble is probably the much more valuable piece here. At this, at some point, I'm going to say his first name correct the first time. Every time I say it incorrect, because I read it as Tariq, and then I have to correct myself because I know yeah. it's Tarek, like Derek. So I'm going to get it right at some point, Brendan. It's just not on this podcast. You had the next deal, and Ooh. you had the Texas Rangers, correct? Yeah, this deal is a spicy one. This is another very high upside swing with this trade. There wasn't one that really made sense with the Texas Rangers. Again, this was this was kind of a tough draw here. The Rangers have some very high-end talent. Guys like, obviously, Jacob deGrom that they just brought in, Corey Seager, Marcus Simeon on big contracts. And then they have their younger top prospects like Josh Jung, who just got to the big league level. And then there's Jack Leiter, who was started inexplicably in AA last year by the Texas Rangers and really struggled at that level. Now, I would be shocked if the Rangers were willing to give up on Jack Leiter this quickly, but when you look at their starting five, their current starting pitching rotation is pretty filled up with DeGrom, Martin Perez, they just brought in Nathan Eovaldi, they have John Gray and Andrew Heaney, which is a complete starting five. Now, that probably doesn't change the plan for Jack Leiter, who will probably be in the bigs in a year or two, and by that time, Heaney or whoever else may be out of the rotation, but if the Rangers are looking to win right now, I made kind of a similar trade that you made with Tarek Skubal, sending Austin Hayes, Drew Rahm, and Gene Pinto to the Texas Rangers in exchange for the 2021 number two overall pick, Jack Leiter. And Paul, I know you have some thoughts on this because of what Leiter did in the minors last year, and uh, the numbers weren't very good. They were not. And I liked Jack Leiter a lot coming out of Vanderbilt. I thought that he was probably the number one prospect in that draft. Not like I'm the best scout or talent evaluator of high school or college players, but I thought that his numbers spoke for themselves at Vanderbilt, and I liked a lot of what he brought to the table. However, he struggled quite a lot in AA last year. That he did. 554 ERA. I know he had 10.5 strikeouts per nine, and I think it was ridiculous of the Rangers to put Jack Leiter in double-A right away. Terrible choice. I know the SEC is the best conference in college baseball, and I know Jack Leiter, everybody was saying he was advanced for his age. I just am of the Orioles' belief that I would always put a prospect at a lower level to be safe, 
and then move him up if you have to. It's much better to do that and to put a prospect at too low a level and be able to move him up than it is the alternative where you put him at a level he's not ready for, he struggles, and either he has to work his way through those struggles or he has to be sent back down to a lower level before working his way back up. I just don't think that that's the best thing for a prospect, and I think the Rangers showed that last year because I clearly Jack Leiter was not ready for double A because no. almost no player Who coming be? yeah coming out of the draft it doesn't matter where you pitch before that you're not going to be ready for double A this isn't you know Ben McDonald pitching in 1989 where he was pitching in the big leagues a few months after he was drafted it's just not realistic to expect somebody to succeed at that level so I will say organizational failure by the Rangers I noticed that Leiter did pitch better in the second half, and he was starting to get some things figured out because he had some time at AA to work some th- through some things. And I think he could still hit his ceiling as being a number one in a rotation, a future ace. But right now, he isn't showing that. And I think that his value has decreased because of that. We've seen him drop significantly in prospect rankings. According to MLB Pipeline, when he was first drafted, he was considered a top 15, top 11, 12 prospect. He's now the 45th ranked prospect in baseball. So talent evaluators have noticed the dip in production and the struggles that he had as well. I don't think if you're giving up a cup, a major league player like Austin Hayes and who sh- a guy who should be a major leaguer this year in Drew Rahm, I think you should be getting a little bit more than Jack Leiter. I know that would have sounded crazy a year ago, but we have more information than we did a year ago. And for right now, I think you would be selling low on Austin Hayes, and I don't think I would give up all that much for a prospect. Well, I will say I think the Rangers would be selling low on Jack Leiter in this instance, which is why they would be. Austin Hayes is going to Texas instead of somebody like a Cedric Mullins or an even better major league player that probably would have had to go in a trade if this were happening a year ago before a year of information on Jack Leiter. I will say to play devil's advocate a little bit here, I think a lot of Leiter's issues from the sounds of things seem to be mechanical because he was just pressing so much because he was struggling at a level that he should not have been in that Texas should not have put him in that position which kind of reminds me of when Gunnar Henderson was first promoted he was having some mechanical issues and just kind of needed a reset to go back to basics a little bit and obviously we saw what Gunnar Henderson has now been able to do at the big league level the reason that I make this trade is because not that I think Austin Hayes is expendable by any stretch of the imagination. He is still a very good major league player. He is still very valuable on this Orioles team right now. The reason that I move Hayes is A, because the Rangers have a pretty glaring need in their corner outfield, and B, because the Orioles have depth in their corner outfield. And Austin Hayes is the best of that depth bunch, but you could still be relatively confident with what Kyle Stowers could give you this year, with what Colton Kowser could give you if he gets promoted this year. And that might not be up to the play of Austin Hayes, but you're hoping that those guys pan out into quality big league players and would at least be a quality replacement for Austin Hayes in this instance. And if you get Jack Leiter on sort of a buy low here and he hits his ceiling, which is, as you mentioned, Paul, an ace in this league, you could potentially have... Grayson Rodriguez and Jack Leiter and maybe even D.L. Hall, if everybody hits their ceiling, you could have one of the best young rotations in baseball 
and you didn't even have to sign any massive contracts in free agency to get it done. Just the possibility of what Leiter could be is incredibly exciting. And I think if you're able to buy him a little bit low, even though you're still giving up a good major league player in Austin Hayes, a potential big leaguer in Drew Rahm, maybe even a potential big leaguer in Gene Pinto, I think the potential ceiling of Jack Leiter and taking that swing is the reason I made this hypothetical deal. I think the question is, what are the chances that he hits that ceiling, though? Because That's I think the question. Yeah. I think the percentage chance that he hits that ceiling, I would give it a much smaller percentage chance now than I would have when he was first drafted. Oh, absolutely. Number two overall, because we have that extra information, and right now he is not pitching very well. And simply because you have a surplus at a position like the Orioles do in the outfield, and by midseason, they should have too many. If they hold on to everybody, they'll probably have more outfielders than they know what to do with. Right. That doesn't mean that you need to get rid of somebody and you need to trade them because you have a surplus at that spot because you want to give that, you know, some extra playing time to Colton Cowser. Because, look, something can happen. I mean, let's say that you trade Austin Hayes because you say we need to give Colton Cowser the 40th-ranked prospect in all of baseball. We need to give him a spot on opening day or early in the season. And then somebody goes down with injury. And then Cedric Mullins, knock on wood, let's hope he doesn't, goes down with injury. Then you have to move Colton Cowser to center, and then you have a hole in left field. That can happen. So depth is key here, and it will help the Orioles. And unless you need to make a trade, I don't think that you should be making a trade like this one where you're not helping your big league team. You're not helping your 2023 team. You're probably not helping your 2024 team. You're maybe hoping that Jack Leiter can help you in 2025. And I believe that Jack Leiter, if put in the right position and the Orioles have shown that they can develop pitchers like the Rays and like the best teams with the rest of them I think that he can succeed right now I just think that you have to demand a little bit more than Jack Leiter and you probably shouldn't be giving up as much as three players for a prospect who so far has not panned out well Paul in my defense you mentioned that you don't need to make a trade but we literally did need to make a trade or else this game <laughs> yeah, no, would be right. terrible that's this true. game would not be fun no that's true that, it's entirely true uh my my point is the Orioles don't need to make any of these trades and Mike Elias yeah. like we said he does still have to come down here at the end of this podcast and he's got to pick one of these he does one of these trades blindly I might add he yeah. can't see what these trades are and he has to execute the trade so you know his hands are tied so we're just trying to put the best options out there for him because these are big deals and uh you know it's it's a weird contract that he signed that he has to do this once a year but he's yeah. got to make one of these I mean, trades can't believe he agreed to that Honestly. especially the random part of it i yeah. mean just fingers crossed he takes the trade that we wrote down later which was cash considerations for juan soto i mean hopefully <laughs> cash he is, he's able to do that deal how much how much cash are we talking here I had 20 30 bucks a twitter trade 44 billion i think for yeah for um Perfect. juan soto also some comments as we are live on facebook and youtube Getting differing opinions here. Uh, somebody, Logan, saying that uh, Jack Leiter with the nauseous emoji. <laughs> and then Ryan Lute saying, I actually like the Leiter trade. So thank you. we're getting a, a mix of reactions here. Yeah. And I think that right now Jack Leiter has become a polarizing player because of his incredibly high ceiling and because of his lack of success at one point. All right. Brendan, 
I have the next trade. That you do? And it's the Boston Red Sox. That it is. And it's difficult to make trades within the division. And these trades are rare because teams never want to end up with egg on their face because they ended up trading a better player than they thought to a guy that's going to play them 19 times a year. But in this instance, I think this might make sense. I have Jorge Mateo going to the Boston Red Sox in exchange for Nick Bavetta and Brooks Brannon. Now, Nick Bavetta has been a slightly above-average pitcher the last two years with Boston. He started out his career struggling in Philadelphia and has turned it around somewhat and become one of the Red Sox more dependable starting pitchers. He's entering his age 30 season. Brooks Brannon, I know you're asking who the heck is that? He is a catching prospect. He is 19 years old, and he was a recent draft pick in the ninth round of the 2022 draft. He was an overslot guy. He may need to move off catcher, according to scouting reports, because he's probably not a great receiver behind the plate, but he should be a quality offensive player. And his name is Brooks. And I think that's the most important part of this deal. His name just stuck out to me, and I said the Orioles got to go ahead and get themselves a Brooks. Sure. And why the Red Sox would want Jorge Mateo? Well, they just lost a guy named Xander Bogarts, who is their everyday shortstop. They have Trevor Story, who can play shortstop, but we've also seen some reports, most notably from The Athletic, that they may not be sold on Trevor Story playing shortstop next year. They can keep him at second base, and they can fill this spot via trade by getting Jorge Mateo. What do you think of this deal, Brandon? I'm going to be honest. I'm not crazy about it, Paul. And maybe that is just my preconceived notion on Nick Pavetta coming to get me because he has been better than I remember over the last few seasons here. But Nick Pavetta, for me, Paul, just doesn't really move the needle. I think the Orioles need a front end of the rotation type of starter. I think if you're acquiring Nick Pavetta, you are acquiring somebody who is probably towards the back end of your rotation. Not that there's anything inherently wrong with that. I mean, Nick Pavetta is still a quality starting pitcher. He would still help this team. I just don't think he really fills a massive need. I think he just kind of joins a jumble of other starting pitchers that you're looking at as a number three, number four, number five type of guy rather than the Scooble trade that we talked about earlier, which was you'd be getting somebody with number one, number two starter type of potential. So I think if you are moving Mateo, I know Mateo doesn't have a ton of value in a trade because he doesn't have the longest track record in the world and maybe moving Mateo doesn't get you the type of starting pitcher that you'd be looking for. I just don't really know if this moves the needle in the rotation right now. Yeah, Pavetta would be more of a depth piece. And he has been better than I think his ERA has shown. He has a pretty high war the last couple years. And to me, that says that he's pitching a lot against the Yankees and against some of the better teams in the American League. He has 2.6 war each of the last two years. Mateo has had 3.6 war last year. And Pavetta, like you said, Brendan, he's not going to be an ace for you. He's probably going to be a middle-of-the-rotation guy. But the Orioles might find more value in that than they might in Jorge Mateo because they have this surplus of infielders. They have surplus in the outfielder. In the outfield, they will by midseason probably once Colton Kowser comes up. And I think they could have a surplus in the infield once we start to see the likes of Connor Norby and Joey Ortiz and Jordan Westberg. So maybe the Orioles decide now is the time to move Jorge Mateo and let's go ahead and get a starter for our infielder because that's what this is all, all is about. That's why the Orioles 
draft so much in the infield. That's why they draft so much position players. So many position players is so that they can take that depth and use it to get a starting pitcher. And I think that this move would represent that. I'm not the biggest Bavetta fan. I don't think that he would be a massive upgrade to that rotation, but he would certainly add some depth and veteran experience. But again, that kind of goes back to the Austin Hayes point that we were making before when you're talking about having a surplus at a particular position. Right. You're not banging down the door to trade Austin Hayes just because you have some potential starter type of players with Kyle Stowers and Colton Kowser. You're also not banging down the door to trade Jorge Mateo just because you have Joey Ortiz and Jordan Westberg coming up. So I think if you're moving Mateo, it makes sense because you have those guys, but you're still not trying to force something that's not really there. And I'll say what you said, which is we literally had to make a trade for this game, Brendan. That so. we did. <laughs> that we did. So I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth here. A comment <laughs> coming as well that we, uh, the commenter would rather have Garrett Whitlock, who is a Rule 5 draft pick, sure. entering his age 27 season. He had a three four five ERA last year, starter, reliever. I would rather have him too. I don't know if Jorge Mateo would get you that. You'd probably have to give up Jorge Mateo and somebody else. And the fact that the Red Sox also just lost Nathan Evaldi in free agency probably makes any deal for a starting pitcher, a Red Sox starting pitcher, less likely at this point. Brendan, we're also getting called soft in our comments, by the way, for not addressing the fact that uh, the Orioles have promised liftoff and they have not delivered on said promise, even yeah. though over the last several podcasts, we've addressed it literally every single time. We've talked about that. <laughs> I mean, literally a whole bunch. Ad nauseum. A whole bunch. And Spark Notes version... Michael Elias has said that liftoff meant that the next few years in Baltimore will bring excellent baseball. It didn't mean that they're going to start handing out $350 million contracts. It just meant that the, the quality of baseball in Baltimore is going to get better the next several seasons. And they have addressed starting pitcher in Kyle Gibson. They've addressed second base in Adam Frazier. They've added a bullpen piece in Michael Gibbons. And they have added a backup catcher in James McCann. And we are presenting options in which the Orioles could acquire more talent as well. So they are addressing these positions. And also it's December 28th. And there's still plenty of time left in the offseason. So let's not overreact to what we've seen through the first couple of months of the offseason. And uh, Brendan, I know I need to go to the gym a little bit more often. But I think calling me soft is a little bit harsh. Yeah, I would agree. And just to address that quickly on my end. Yeah, please uh, do. In case we, uh, I don't want to have an hour and a half podcast here. But <laughs> again, as you mentioned, they have made more moves this offseason than they made last offseason. They have pretty clearly upgraded all of the spots that they upgraded a year ago. I think Jordan Lyles to Kyle Gibson is an upgrade as is Ruknit Odor to Adam Frazier, as is Robinson Chirinos to James McCann. Yeah. I think those are all pretty significant upgrades. From a fan's perspective, I think you can be, if you were hoping that the Orioles would bring in a front end of the rotation starting pitcher, and they have not done that via free agency, I can understand some frustration there. If you think that it was a team need and you were hoping that the Orioles would do that, sure, you can be frustrated with that if you want to. But as you said, we are still in December. There is a chance that the Orioles bring in a high-end starter via trade. There are still a lot of possibilities here, so I'm not giving up on this offseason by any way, shape, or form. I think they have made some quality, smart, albeit a little bit safe moves so far, and maybe they are in a position to make some bigger ones down the line. But let's not judge 
this entire offseason when we have not even flipped the calendar to the new year yet. Absolutely. Also, I'm doing trying to do a better job of addressing comments live because we are live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. We sure are. And I did see a comment that uh, getting Chris Sale from the Red Sox would be cooler. He would be cooler, <laughs> but I think it would come with a lot more risk because he has yeah. had significant injuries the last couple of years. Uh, 2022 pitched just two games. Remember, he had that blow up in the clubhouse in the minor leagues. We saw some reports earlier this week that the Red Sox would be willing to move him. I bet they will be because he hasn't been on the field, and he's been very good when he has been on the field. Last two seasons, he's pitched to a 3.17 ERA, but he's only made 11 starts in the last two years. So you would be taking on a massive risk in getting Chris Sale, not just in the health department, but also the clubhouse department. Is he going to be copacetic, and is he going to be... The Excellent use of copacetic. Thank Paul. you. Thank you very much. Is he going to be the teammate that you're hoping, you know, somebody via, you acquire via trade is going to be? We don't know. Would be an exciting addition. Would be a headline move. I just don't know if the Orioles are willing to take on that kind of risk when they could probably use more of a sure thing. Yeah, and I mean, look, I would also like Chris Sale. I would like a lot of things. You'd probably have to trade more than Jorge Mateo to get Chris Sale. You'd probably have to trade some either even more quality big league players or some higher end prospects. And I just don't know if the risk is worth the reward at that point. Absolutely. All right, Brendan, sorry to go on such a large tangent. How dare you? What is your next trade? Yeah, my next trade is, I know you'll find this shocking, another high end swing that the Orioles could potentially make. The third trade was with the San Diego Padres. And I am sending... Anthony Santander, which I know is already stupid because Mike Elias has said that Anthony Santander is going to be a part of this team for the next two years and whatever. I'm trading him anyway. I'm sorry, Mike. I'm sending Anthony Santander. He's going to be upset when he picks this random. He really is because he had some plans and I have ruined them. I'm trading Anthony Santander and Carter Baumler to the San Diego Padres in exchange for Adrian Morajone. And if you're saying, who the heck is that? Well, I'll tell you. He is one of the better prospects in the Padres system over the last few seasons. He is a hard-throwing lefty. He is not very old at this point. He is entering his age 24 season. He did not really have a chance to start all that much last year because the Padres' starting rotation is crowded. And that is a very good team that is going to hopefully be making a World Series push, they are hoping. So Morahone, he has a lot of potential, but maybe doesn't have a spot in the starting rotation. They could use Anthony Santander in their corner outfield. They could use him as a DH option. They could really use him wherever because he's just a good big league player. Whereas Morahone, he is a very exciting left-handed pitcher. He's only going to be 24 this year. His advanced metrics have been excellent. He has a really, really good fastball. His fastball spin is in the 96th percentile, according to StatCast. A lot of stuff that just jumps off the page for Morahone. We know the Orioles could use a lefty given their ballpark dimensions. And if Morahone, again, if he hits his ceiling, he is a front end of the rotation type of starter who could be a very good left-handed pitcher in Baltimore for a very long time. And Carter Baumler, by the way, was a fifth rounder back in 2020, uh, had Tommy John surgery shortly after he was drafted, and then looked good in only 11 and two-thirds this year before he had to be shut down with shoulder inflammation. Would love to see that guy pitch consistently in the minor leagues because he is still very young. He was a high school draft pick back in 2020, and I think the Orioles are excited in what they have in Baumler, but he unfortunately has been beset by injuries. Um, 
this would be a massive swing, Brendan. And I think, that, I think that you're taking out a massive piece in your lineup in Anthony Santander. I don't know if the Orioles have an internal option who can do right now what Anthony Santander did for you last year, which is 33 home runs, can hit from both sides of the plate. The Orioles struggled offensively across the board. They were probably the 10th best American League team in terms of offense, in terms of OPS and home runs. They could have used more power, and that was with Anthony Santander mashing 33 homers. I think a full season of Adley Rutschman, a full season of Gunnar Henderson, maybe Kyle Stowers will help provide that. But when you're removing that big of a power piece from your lineup, I think you have to be getting back somebody who is a little bit more ready to contribute than Morahone, who, though he has all the potential in the world again, had a 4-2-6 ERA last year coming out of the bullpen. I still think Morahone is ready to contribute this year, but Do you think right. he can be a starter? Yes. Immediately next year? Yes. Okay. I would put Morahone in this rotation pretty much immediately if it were me, but it's not. I no, think Morahone has a ton of potential. I think he could potentially be a front end of the rotation kind of guy. And as the discussion was with Jack Leiter, you have to give up good players to get high-end potential type of guys. That's why you had to move somebody like Austin Hayes, hypothetically, to get Jack Leiter. And that's why I'm hypothetically moving Anthony Santander to get Morahone. Santander may be a little bit of an overpay, but I think that might be what it needs to get it done. I don't think Austin Hayes would have gotten this trade done. It also would have been boring if I included Austin Hayes in a trade again. So I wasn't going to do that. But this is, I think, a fun hypothetical. And it's fun to think about what Morahone's upside could be as a lefty in Baltimore. How much more power and offensive firepower does that Padres lineup need, Brendan? I mean, Goodness. they have Juan Soto, Fernando yeah. Tatis is coming back. They have Xander Bogarts now. That is going to be Jake Cronenworth. That is going to be one of the most loaded lineups in baseball. If they were to somehow acquire Anthony Santander, goodness gracious, the NL West would be concerned. Yeah. Uh, they certainly would be, which is also... They probably already are. ...part of why I think this hypothetical trade made sense for the Padres, because despite the potential that Morahone has, Anthony Santander is going to contribute in a big way at the big league level right now. And I think Morahone could do that, but it's a little bit more of a risky play, and maybe the Padres aren't willing to take that risk this year. Was Morahone ever one of the Padres' top prospects? I believe he was a top five or top six prospect over the last few seasons. I believe he worked his way up over the okay. last few years. In 2020, he was their sixth-ranked prospect, and yes. then I think he lost prospect status. Okay. Yes. I mean, I, I just I would have to see him start some more games before I went ahead and made this trade if I were the Orioles. Yeah, and, he, and, he's really an eye test guy, too. I mean, he just looks nasty when he pitches. <laughs> I mean, he, his stuff is great. It, it's almost like a D.L. Hall kind of situation where you watch and you're like, whoa, that yeah. dude's got some stuff. Okay. Okay. Uh, I think I have the last trade here, Brendan. That you do. Are you, you're done, right? You've made all your trades. Yeah, thank goodness. I think people are done hearing from me. Okay. I have the Miami Marlins, and I saw a commenter say this should be a realistic trade. So what I did is I tried to create a realistic trade here to go ahead and get Pablo Lopez in an Orioles Woo. jersey. 27-year-old righty, and I tried to make this trade with a mix of some supplementary pieces. I tried to do a Ramon Arias and a Kyle Stowers. I just couldn't do it. And what I had to settle for 
was Colton Kowser. <sighs> I'm giving up Colton Kowser and Freddie Ben Cosme, who was a very young, exciting shortstop prospect that the Orioles have in their system. Their number 25 prospect looked very good in Delmarva and Aberdeen last year. But the Orioles have a glut of infield prospects, and they're going to have to trade some of these guys at some point. And I had to give up Colton Kowser because the Marlins need outfielders. They need position players. They need guys who can hit. Their offense has been woeful, and they have a glut of starting pitchers. And the only prospect that really, or the only pitcher in that rotation that really made sense for me to trade from the Marlins was Pablo Lopez because he's much closer to free agency than some of the other guys in that rotation. He's a little bit older than some of the other guys in that rotation at 27, and he's been very good. 3.75 ERA, almost nine strikeouts per, per nine and 32 starts last year. Career ERA, a tick under four. I think of him as a number two in this Orioles rotation. He could probably be your ace in 2023 on opening day. Maybe have that spot taken from him by John Means midseason. But he's a very good starting pitcher who is 27. Should be in the middle of his prime. And that's why I had to give up Colton Kowser in this instance. Oh, it hurts to give up Colton Kowser, Paul. But I, I do like the trade from the Orioles' perspective. As you said, I think Pablo Lopez probably comes in as your number one starter in the rotation. If John Means comes back, maybe he's your number one. Maybe Grayson Rodriguez develops into that number one. But the fact of the matter is that Pablo Lopez is excellent. And the Orioles have a lot of bats. They have a lot of outfielders. And not that you need to trade one, but if you are going to trade one and acquire a pitcher which you need, you would rather be trading from a position of depth, which is exactly what the Orioles have in the outfield. So I think if you're trading... Any of those high-end prospects, Colton Kowser is probably, unfortunately, the one that makes the most sense to move because I don't think you could get Lopez in exchange for somebody like a Jordan Westberg. I think you'd have to add a bunch of good prospects along with Westberg in some kind of package to get Pablo Lopez in that instance, whereas Colton Kowser has the higher-end potential that the Marlins would be looking for. Yeah, you have to give up something to get something. Right. And in this instance, I tried really hard to give up somebody that the Orioles wouldn't miss all that much. Like, if they were to trade Ramon Rios in this instance, it would hurt, but it wouldn't hurt as much as giving up somebody that you took with the fifth overall pick two years ago, has developed into a top 50 prospect in baseball, and looks like he could be an outfielder of the future. That that would hurt a lot more, I think, than giving up Ramon Rios. But you're getting a very good pitcher here in Pablo Lopez. So that's why I had to make this deal I saw a comment that said, G-Rod means Lopez got me sweating. I, I would agree. I mean, that yeah. one, two, three that you could have by midseason once means comes back could very well be one of the better one, two, three punches in the American League if everybody in that group pans out. If right. means comes back healthy, if Pablo Lopez looks like he has the last few years in Miami, and if Grayson hits his ceiling that early. But it would just be difficult to swallow giving up Colton Kowser, and then what are you doing in the outfield long-term? You're going to have to commit yourself to Cedric Mullins in center, Austin Hayes in left, and Anthony Santander in right with maybe Kyle Stowers as your fourth outfielder, Ryan McKenna. You lose a lot of your future value in the outfield by making a trade like this. You do, but, I mean, looking years down the line, you know, you're hoping that a Judd Fabian or a Dylan Beavers pans out, and maybe they turn into 
probably not the prospect that Colton Kowser is right now, but Heston Kerstad. Heston Kerstad as well. I think all three of those guys have the potential to be big leaguers. I think Kerstad and Dylan Beavers especially have the potential to be maybe top 100 prospects down the line. So you still have options. They're just not as close as Colton Kowser is right now. And it would really hurt to give him up, but it would be really nice to get Pablo Lopez as well. Yeah. So that is my Pablo Lopez trade. We gave trades that we think might happen. We gave uh, Tarek Skubal. There you go. Got it right, Brandon, on the first try. Way to go. Uh, who is another starter. There are other starters out there that the Orioles could yet acquire. And, Brendan, I, I like your ideas of taking big swings for prospects. Yeah. But I think if a trade, a big trade, is going to materialize over the coming months before spring training, I think it's going to be for a starting pitcher because all of those guys being off the board in free agency really opens the door for a trade now. Yeah, I agree. And the Jack Leiter trade that I made is probably one that the Orioles would not make at this point because Jack Leiter, probably a year or two away from the bigs, I would imagine he starts in double A again this year. I don't think you'd really be moving for somebody who is that deep in the minor leagues right now. Morahone, I think, starts at the big league level. But I think if we are looking for an actual Orioles trade this year, not the ridiculous ones that we made up, you're trading for big league talent at this point. I think the days of trading quality veterans for maybe some prospects are behind the Orioles at this point. I think if you're moving anybody, you're trading for talent that is going to help you at the big league level this year. So let us know what you think of our terrible trades. And uh, please call us soft in the comments. Which that one should be... Mike Elias pick? Yeah, he's, he's got a, an hour, a couple hours to come down here and make yeah. his decision. So uh, which one will Mike Elias execute at 3 p.m. today? Brendan, coming up on the Mass and All Access podcast in a couple weeks, we're going to be doing the all-future Orioles draft. Woo-hoo. Now, we have been doing drafts every offseason for the last couple of years. We did the All Camden Yards draft with Connor Newcomb of the Locked On Orioles podcast last year. We had Tim Leonard join us for the all Earl Weaver draft. This one looks not back to the past and the great times that the Orioles have had, but it looks ahead. We're trying to pick a championship Orioles team in the year 2025, and we're doing it with a mix of current players and a mix of prospects that they have in their system. It's going to be a fascinating draft, and we're having Tim Leonard join us once again for this. We have yet to determine the draft order. It's not going to be for a couple weeks, but I think we have to uh, do that right now so that we can get a head start on our preparation. Are you ready for the randomization no. website that I have pulled up no, here I'm not. to pick the draft order? I have put my name, your name, and Tim's name in that order, and we're going to randomize the order. If, if uh, Paul, if I get the number two pick again, the number two pick I think we have all agreed is the worst pick in this draft. And again, this is as if we have... Jumped in a time machine to the year 2025. We yeah. have skipped the next few seasons, and you are just now placed in 2025, and we are saying, make a roster that you think is going to win. So this is not any cumulative production sort of deal up into that year. This is not a, who do you think is going to compete from 2025 to 2030? This is just a, the year is 2025, go win some baseball games. And if I get the number two overall pick... I I don't know what I'm going to do. Look, one, it's the worst. It's the worst, Paul. It's the worst spot because you don't get back-to-back picks ever in the draft. <sighs> because it's a snake order draft, Yeah, which means that one and three, you're going to have back-to-back picks every single time you come up. But two, you're kind of stuck with getting the second or third best guy at each position. You never get the blue chip guy. 
yeah. at the top position. However, for this draft, I think we can all reasonably expect Adley Rutschman, Gunnar Henderson, Grayson Rodriguez to go off the board one, two, three in some order. But what so, order will it be? What order? And I think it'll Woo-hoo. depend on uh, what these guys, uh, wh- who who is making these picks. Yeah. Brendan, are you ready for me to hit the randomization button? No, and I'm not ready for you to tell me that I have the number two overall pick. I again. have hit randomization. Brendan, ah. you have been awarded the number one overall pick. Let's Tim, go. Tim Leonard has received the number two oh, overall he's pick. He's going to say it's rigged because he's not here. He is. And I have received the number three overall wow. pick. Wow. I, I mean, I have it on my computer here if you'd Ooh. like to, to prove it. Yeah, but please, there you go. please prove it to the folks at home that, oh, man. All right, I'm excited with number one. I think I know who you're going to take. I, th- I think, I think there's uh, one answer. Yeah, there is one answer of who to take to number one, both because of the type of player he will be in 2025 and the lack of positional depth within the organization. So that will be the number one overall pick, but I am also waiting a lot to get that second player onto my roster, uh, which is tough because a lot of good players are going to fly off the board. Yeah, you're going to have the first pick and the sixth pick. So there are going to be four picks between your first pick and your sixth pick. It's going to be difficult to to wait that out, but you're getting the best player in the draft. I am. I'm not going to trade that number one overall pick. And no need to go under slot in this instance. That would be be fun. If you could go For a future fantasy draft, if we could trade picks. We've talked about it in the past. It'd be really hard. It just would be too difficult to work out. Also, you can't go under slot. So, you know, you you can't make a a deal with somebody behind the scenes. That is true. All right. We've been on this podcast for far too long. I have had my coffee and I am uh, ready to get out of here. At Brendan Morty is his Twitter handle. I am at Paul Mancano. Thanks to everybody for following along on YouTube and Facebook every Wednesday at 11 a.m. And, of course, you can listen to the podcast after the fact on Spotify, on SoundCloud, on Apple Podcasts, anywhere that you get your podcasts, you can get the Masson All Access Podcast. Thanks to Brendan Mortensen for producing this podcast. And uh, we will be back next week. There will be one episode between our all-future draft Uh, and now. So we will have another episode before we do our all-future draft. However, we will be back next Wednesday at 11 a.m. Thanks so much for tuning into the Masson All Access Podcast, which is brought to you by Toyota. For legendary safety and reliability, choose Toyota, and let's go places. We'll catch you next time.